In your notebooks and your journals, whatever you use, those of you online as well, um, Gia, I know you're, you're engaging online. If you can put this in the comment section too. I want you guys to write this statement down. God, give me my blank back. Whatever input, whatever that blank is for you. God, give me my blank back. And for you, I don't know what that blank is. And I don't know what you came to church today with, those of you online as well as in person. I don't know what you came to church needing God to give you that blank back. For some of you, it's your marriage. You came to church and said, God, I just need my marriage back. For some of you, it's your children. God, I just need my children back. I need my family back. I need some clarity back. I need my peace back. What is your blank? And I want you to take time and put that, fill in the blank for yourself. What is your blank that you came and said, God, I need this back. I need my joy back. I need my hope back. I need my wife back. I need my husband back. I need my spouse back. I need my ministry back. I need my care back. I need my, I need my desire, my passion back. I need my desire for myself back. I need to, I need to know how to love, whatever that is for you. And this is one of those sermons I want you to directly apply to yourself. That's what Paul did in Ephesians 4. Paul immediately applied this to himself. And I want you to really consider for you as we start this sermon off today, as we have this conversation, what are you praying for? What is it that you need to leave out of here saying, God, I just need, I need clarity I need peace. I need me back. What happens in life is that life causes that distance between us and God. The way that distance Paul talked about before, that's what causes us to sin. It's not necessarily sex, drugs, and alcohol. That's a lack of confidence. It's competition. That's comparison. There's pride. That's arrogance. All these things that clo- that causes that, that distance between us and God. And my prayer today is I were to give you a title. I want you to fill in the blank, but as I will trust God to fill in my blank. I will trust God to fill in my blank. And so I put this stage up here today. I put this seat here because I wanted to do it as if you were having a conversation. You were using your journal, sitting at home, journaling with God. I wanted to make it intimate because I wanted to talk to us today about this, about ways that we can welcome God to fill in our blanks. So grab your Bibles, keep your seats. Ephesians 4, and I want to end Ephesians 4 today. And I want you to see what Paul talks about. It's a very frank text. It's a very matter-of-fact text. But as we've been hearing and talking today, and you guys have heard all the songs we've had today, talk about this fight for your life, that God has won every battle. I want us to fight for your future, fight for the very things you have in the gap. For those of you who came today, God, I need my marriage back. Paul shows you how to fight for your marriage. God, I need my joy back. Paul shows you how to fight for that joy, fight for clarity. I want us to take this very practical couple of verses that Paul gives us and fight for the very things that God has given us. Look at Ephesians 4, verses 25 through 32. It says these words, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. Another room, another translation says, don't give the devil access to a guest room in your house. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but work. Do something useful with your hands that may have something to share with those in need. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed with for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to each other, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Keep your Bibles open if you have your journals. I want to walk through this with you. And at each one of these sections, I want you to see 
how Paul structures this, but then I actually want to take time to pray over these. I'm not going to be very long um, because I want to be very practical today. Last week we talked about the first two movements, 17 through 24. It's personal, don't live like the Gentiles, and that it was theological, living in a manner worthy, and put off the old self, put on the new. That when we said yes to Jesus, we put on, Jesus put on us a new self. And we struggle, right? We struggle with this daily that so often the questions we can ask is, if I have this new self from Jesus, then why do I still act like my old self? And we can, like, y'all can be churchy with it if you want to, but Paul says it's the flesh. And we say flesh, I don't mean your skin, I don't mean your body. It's the principle that when we trusted Jesus, we were more in tune with what pleased our flesh, pleased the world, than what pleased God. It's the principle of doing things our own way, but not trusting God to do it God's way. And that's why Jesus, we, it, it was something that was with us. We were made in the very image of God from, our, from the beginning of time until the, we go back into the earth. But we also recognize that we're living in a world full of sin. And we've seen sin. We've lived with sin. We were creatures of sin. And the enemy partners with, the enemy partners with our flesh. And remember, the enemy has one goal, Satan. The enemy has one goal is to still kill and destroy. There is nothing that you do when you partner with Satan that's going to lead to life. He has one goal. That's to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's through words, language, deeds, all of that. And so when we, the challenge Paul gives us, and the challenge I want to give us, is that since we know this truth, how then can we walk in our new self? Because Christ has put a new self on us. You are not who you were before you met Jesus, but you are aware of it, and Satan is aware of it too. And Satan's goal is to get you to trust who you were before Jesus more than you live into what Jesus has spoken over your life. And so this is to me where the rubber meets the road in this text. I mean, Paul literally is saying, like, what does the new self look like? Look at verses 25 through 32. It's a list. Paul says there's four things the new self must have. Tell the truth. Control your anger. Don't steal from work. And watch your mouth. That's, that's the whole piece. I mean, if we're being honest here, look at, look at, and so Paul structures it like this. There's a negative, there's a positive, and then there's the why, right? It, it sometimes it's flipped. There's a negative, don't do this. There's a positive, do this. And then the motivation, here's why you do these things. And like I said, I'm not being very complicated. Look at the text. Look at this. See, Paul says, um, verse number 20, 25, the first thing Paul says, the first thing Paul says, number one, is truth. Paul says, first of all, put off falsehood. Speak truthfully. Don't put off lies. Don't lie. Speak truthfully. Tell the truth. Why? For we're all members of one body. That's a whole sermon right there, isn't it? I mean, Paul just says, like, don't do this. Do this because we're all members of one body. Now, here's the thing. For those of us in the room, let's be real today, who struggle with truth-telling, this is where Paul, this is where Paul comes to us. May God forgive us for the comfort we find in lies. I really want that to sit today. May God forgive us when lying serves us well, and the closest people to us know that we find comfort in not telling the truth. Paul says if we're going to be worthy, have a worthy walk, to live a life in a manner worthy of the calling on our lives, we have to put away lies. It's that simple. Paul says, here's the thing I want us to grab a hold of, is this lying that Paul is talking about. He says, I want you to speak the truth. I want you to speak the gospel. One of the reasons it's easy for us to lie in the world and lie to those we don't know, and then lie to those we do know at home, is because Paul says this all starts in the church. Look at the motivation. For we're all members of one body. Remember, this was not written, we've isolated scripture. This was not written for someone to apply at home first. 
This was written for them to apply in the church first. Paul says, you don't speak the revelation of God among God's people. So if we're lying on God in the church, it's much easier for me to keep lying when I get home. And then it's easy for me to keep lying when I get, because I don't trust the word of God in God's house. Paul says, you lie on God in his own house. So if we're going to start with telling the truth, speak the word of God in God's house. Then speak the word of God when you get home, and then speak the word of God among people around you. We don't trust God's truth, so we definitely don't even want to talk about our own. Paul says the truth, this goes back to speaking truth and love. This truth corresponds to the word of God, the already written word of God, and the consistent, constant revelation of the word of God. Truth is the basis for health, life, and relationship. That's why the Jesus told the religious leaders, you belong to the father, the devil, and you want to carry out the father's, your father's desires. The devil was a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't hold the truth. There is no truth in him. So when you lie, you speak the devil's language. Jesus said it. I didn't say it. Paul says, when you lie, you speak the devil's language. Why? Because he is the liar. He is the father of lies. Lying is living into the line and the lineage of Satan. I'm not trying to be rude here, but I really want us to see this. Like Paul is saying, when we're in church, the reason it's difficult to speak truth in the world is because we lie on God's word all the time. We don't like the truth of Scripture. We don't like the truth of revelation of God. That's the baseline. If we can't handle the truth of the gospel, we're not going to go tell the truth elsewhere. Truth is practiced first in church. Truth is practiced in our homes. Truth is practiced in our personal lives. And then we live a life full of the truth. I'm grateful, y'all, for the Holy Spirit that intervenes and intercedes. I'm grateful for the Holy Spirit who, watch it, lives within us and is the fulfillment of truth. So here's my prayer. God, help me be mindful of your truth. I put prayers on the sheets you received as you walked in. I want to pray this over those of us today who wrestle with the truth. Here what I have, this prayer, and I want you to take this, and those of you watching online, I want you to pray this for yourself throughout the week if you're struggling with lying and struggling with truth-telling. Just hear this prayer. God, help me because I don't like your truth. The truth, not that I need to tell others, but the truth I need to own for myself. Help me, God, to own truths that hurt. The truth that's embarrassing, the truth that I haven't spoken, the truth that reveals my blind spots, the truth that reveals my pride. I don't like those truths. So God, search me and know me. Allow me to ask myself, how truthful am I? Because when I fail to be truthful to myself and to others, I harm you and I harm the local church. Change me, God, from all falsehood to find truth in all things. May God hear our prayers today. Paul says the first thing, we're going to have a life of man unworthy, is you've got to tell the truth. You've got to trust the word of God. Number two, Paul says, then what control your anger. Look at verse number 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry. And don't give the devil a foothold. Positive, be angry. Negative, don't allow your anger to lead you to sin. Why? Because you give the devil a place to live. That's the whole text. Be angry. Some, I'm grateful that anger, hear me, is a reminder that we are made in the image of God. Why? God gets angry. You read any part of the Old Testament, you know God for sure gets angry. I'm grateful that God allows us to see what righteous indignation looks like. Because some things ought to make us angry. 
the sad reality is when we use the God-given gift of anger to harm God's people. There's a great need, church, for more Christian anger. Anger that builds the kingdom of God. Anger that is used to tear down systems and walls of injustice and pain for God's people. Anger that makes sure we get ministry done to those who are most vulnerable. Anger that gets us to the margins of society to heal people who are far from God. There are times where we need to have righteous indignation. We need, Paul says, to be angry. The sad reality is when we use that power we have of anger to tear down other people in our way. Anger has become a tool of destruction when God gave us anger to build the kingdom of God. Church, there are things in Vallejo that ought to, that ought to piss you off. I mean, come on, be honest with me tonight. There are some things that ought to make you angry. We see sex trafficking, but it becomes nothing more than a joke. That ought to piss you off. I wish I had a witness here. When you see drugs sold, we were here outside talking Deacon Barnes and I last week, and you see drugs sold a block away from the church, that ought to piss you off. I wish I had a witness here. When you see the amount of divorces that happen inside of our community, that ought to make you angry. When we see that we have adults coming down to high schools to fight high school students, that ought to make you angry. When we see the amount of fights going on at Jesse Bethel and Vallejo High School, we don't chalk it up to Adam. We chalk it up to the parents. And when we see homes that are fractured and broken, that ought to make you. When city council meetings are more well attended, that when, sorry, are not attended at all, but yet everybody want to be change agents but don't want to participate in change, that ought to make you mad. When all we do is blame other people for what's going on in Vallejo and we don't vote, that ought to make you angry. Anger should happen because anger used builds the kingdom of God because it makes you vote. It makes you send care packages to those who are vulnerable. It makes you make sure that we have babysitting for adult education. It makes us make sure that we have counseling sessions and well-being opportunities for people that we don't just complain about the most vulnerable, but we do something for it. There is something that should make us angry. But Paul says... We get more angry at a church meeting about the color of the carpet than we do about people who are being trafficked. We get more angry about the color and the type of lights we have in church than we have about people being abused in their homes. We get more frustrated about people coming to church and sitting in your seat than you do about teens getting bullied in the bathroom. We get more frustrated that somebody saw my parking spot than we care about those who are getting beaten in their homes. We have people in church who don't know where their next meal is coming from. But the color of the carpet? We have people who don't know how they're going to get home but came to church to serve, but we need to sing a hymn. We're the pulpit chairs. Why don't we have more lights? Why don't we have less lights? I wish the sound wasn't so high. We literally have teens who are committing suicide. We have black boys committing suicide at a rate that we've never seen before. We have, pe we have our black boys and girls getting misdiagnosed with issues on medication at young ages, but the color of the carpet? But don't you know they're gay, Pastor? Why are you letting them serve? They're too young to know anything, Pastor. See, back in my day, this is what we used to do. I can sing better. I can, I can preach better. I can teach better. Did you see this too? Paul says you've misused your anger. We have people, we have boys, black boys. The highest rate of teen suicide is happening among black boys jumping off buildings in the projects. But the color of the carpet? Church, there have been too many times where the sun has gone down and we're angry about things that don't build the kingdom. Hating your husband, hating your wife, hating your children, as much as you want to twist it, does not build the kingdom. 
spending all that time gossiping about your boss, gossiping about your coworkers, angry at them, no matter how you want to swing it, that does not build the kingdom of God. Paul says, be angry. But what you do when you let the sun go down on that anger is you've literally given the devil a key to come into your house to set up. So my challenge to you, quit letting the devil get free reign in your house. Quit letting the devil get free reign in our church. Because the passcode we have here is to move on, not letting anger dominate us, but use our anger to build the kingdom of God. Imagine if you took your ability and your authority to build God's kingdom and not tear down God's people. How different would our lives be? So here's those of you struggling with anger. Here's my prayer for us today. God, grant us more Christian anger to do things that correct wrongs around us. God, there's anger that arises in our relationships, anger that's not fueled by the spirit, but anger that is fueled by the flesh. And God, we miss the mark, and when we do it, we must ask ourselves, God, am I angry at somebody in this church? Address it. God, am I angry to the point of sin to somebody I go to church with? Address it. God, it would be falsehood. It would be a lie for me to think that some of us in worship together aren't angry at each other. It seems, God, what it really you're trying to tell us is don't let anger find a home. Don't let anger sit for weeks. Don't let anger have a long runway. God, help me deal with my anger before it takes me out. Because, God, I see when I don't deal with my anger, I give the devil room in my home. And, God, I'm tired of letting someone who only wants to steal, kill, and destroy have free reign in my life. God, I confess the sun has gone down on anger between me and members that I go to church with. God, I need your help to address my anger because I don't want the devil in my life. Lord, hear our prayer today. Third thing Paul says here is work. Look at verse 28. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Do something useful with your hands and may help those who are in need. The negative, don't steal from work. The positive, because you can do something useful with your hand. Why? Because work is there for us to give. God wrote this to the church. So let's be very honest about what Paul is saying here. This was a church where people were stealing from the church. And it would be foolish to not think that that doesn't happen in God's church today. I want to back up. Let's just be really clear here. I'm just, we're just reading the text. This was a church where folk were stealing from the church. And it would be foolish to think that we're not stealing from church today. Now, before you think I'm just talking financially, there's a whole lot of us who are stealing from God's church in principle and in practice. We have gifts, and we refuse to use those gifts for God's church. You're stealing from the church. You come to worship, and we refuse to give God glory in community. You're stealing from the church. When God tells you to go pray for someone, and you tell them, I, I don't want you praying with me, I don't want you around me, you're stealing the, the, the authority of God in you from the local church. When there are people who come, and you don't want to sit next to them, or you get frustrated about somebody sitting on your pew, you're stealing from the local church. Paul says, this not only applies to the church, but this also applies to our jobs. You know full and well you've been hired to work eight hours a day and you put in two hours a day working at your job, sending emails from Target. You're stealing from your job. You know you took paper clips last week. Y'all can look at me like I'm strange. You know you took some extra post-its. 
you took them post-it notes and nobody's going to know. Put that order into you line, right? Malachi said, God, God told Malachi, you are robbing me by not tithing. Stealing is not just taking what's not ours. Stealing, according to scripture, is when we fail to give. Our laziness is a slap in God's face. Working three jobs at the same time while you prayed for one job to work and you're frustrated that one job keeps emailing you to do your job, you're stealing. It's not right. You're asking God to bless your side hustle when you work in your side hustle while you got your main hustle. You know that's not right. How is God going to bless your unfaithfulness? Paul says, here's what I want you to understand. That's the negative. Here's the positive. Why is he calling us out on this? Why is God calling us on this? Because we all have something useful to do with our hands. You have something useful to do with your hands. You are the fulfillment of God's big dream. It's not Drake telling you God's plan. You are a part of God's bigger plan. So before you dive into misusing and abusing the resources you have, misusing and abusing yourself, let me give you three things that I think would help and I, I challenge you to do that I've done for myself. If we're going to say, like, how can I be faithful to work? Number one, I challenge all of us to go on a seven-day complaining fast. I want you to fast from complaining about your job for seven days. Now, here's the thing. For some of y'all, it's going to be so hard. It's going to be worse than the Daniel fast, right? I can't complain about my boss and my coworkers for seven days. Listen, just tell me to eat nuts and berries. Like, I'd rather eat nuts and berries and drink water than not complain because I got so used to complaining. I want you to be conscious about the times you complain about where you work because you're stealing the gift that God gave you because workplaces are places of worship. Number two, I want you to slow your scroll. How much time are you spending on social media where you could be spending pouring into the person that God's called you to be professionally, professionally? Slow your scroll. And thirdly, reallocate your time. So I want you to go into the week planning out your time. How much time and how much, if there's 168 hours a week, what would it look like for you for 15 minutes a day to give to your spiritual growth? I'm telling you, I know we're all busy. Like, oh my God, you're so busy. You're not that busy that you can't give God 15 minutes of your time. I know. I mean, like, you just like, oh, my God, like, you just got meetings after meetings after meetings. Then wake up 15 minutes earlier if you're so busy. I want you to reallocate your time to make sure that God is the driving force of your day. And I promise you, you slow your scroll, you fast from complaining, your language will change, your body will change, the way you see the world will change. Because now I won't be stealing, I'll be finding ways to give. Here's my prayer for those of us at work. God, many thieves are in the room, and I'm one of them. Be merciful to us, God. Not only because we take what's ours, we take what's not ours, but God, we really just want a heart to give. Generosity, God, is foreign to us. God, we work too often just to provide and not looking for ways to give. But you gave us work so that we might provide for those who don't have enough. God, get me out of the way of my own selfishness and help me to work with the right motivation. Lord, hear our prayer. The last thing Paul tells us. He says, tell the truth, control your anger, don't steal from work. And lastly, Paul says, watch your mouth. Look at verse number 29. Don't let anything unwholesome come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building up others according to their needs. The negative, don't speak rotten words. The positive, speak good words. Why? Because your words benefit other people. 
The word rotten there is the same word when we get to, to, to apples, right? That an overripened apple is rotten. And rotten apples destroy everything around it. Science confirms this, that when a ripened apple begins to overripe, it causes other apples to overripe and accelerate their process. So now all of the apples become rotten. And Paul says, when you speak one rotten word, an unwholesome word, a rotten word only carries rot into somebody else's life. James talks about this in James chapter 3. James comes back and says, we have a choice every time we open our mouths to speak death language or to speak life language. So I want you to ask yourself, like, do your words carry grace or do your words carry death? Do your words cause people to move closer to Jesus or do your words push them away? Are we the reason and are you the reason, am I the reason that people don't come to church sometimes? We can sit there and blame, like, oh, the pastor don't do this, the choir don't sing this, the ministers don't do this, the deacons don't do this, the ushers don't do this. Back up. The first person they met was you. Are you moving people closer to Jesus? So here's my prayer for those of us struggling with our words today. God, help me change my language according to the needs of the moment. When I'm speaking and interacting, I may know that you put them around me to monitor my words. And God, you know what? I'm not a good listener sometimes. Help me be a better hearer so that I may be a better speaker. May my words give life. Lord, hear our prayer. All that comes down to one last thing. Paul says all of this is because I don't want you to grieve the spirit. The most heinous sin that we can commit as Christians is to grieve the spirit. We grieve the spirit when we walk in an unworthy way. And why is this so important? Paul says, don't grieve the spirit. Why? Because it's the spirit who has sealed you for the day of redemption. I want us to hold on to this, that how do we grieve the spirit when I disagree with what Jesus has already done in my life? I've been redeemed, and I keep asking God, do you love me? I've been covered, I keep asking God, do you care about me? Paul says, don't grieve, quit coming to God with unhealthy anger, unhealthy words, un telling God all these lies when he says, the spirit is your intercessor who has sealed you for the day of redemption. Quit grieving the spirit because you don't trust the truth that God has called on your life. Paul says, that's when we live an unworthy walk, that we have to trust that one thing is true. Everything is going to be okay. Why? Because God is still at work. So change your death language. May the Holy Spirit empower us today that we don't grieve the Spirit. May we be so dependent on the Spirit that we don't grieve the Spirit that is leading us to pathways that we didn't even know were possible. Because here's what happens. Look at the text. When we take the Spirit lightly, it leads us down a pathway. Look at the text. Of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and every form of malice. I want us to see here, when we don't take the Spirit seriously, we let a little bitterness come in. And here's all bitterness leads to, Paul says. Bitterness leads to rage. What does rage lead to? Anger. What does that lead to? Brawling. What does that lead to? Slander. And every form of malice, because I don't trust the movement of the Spirit. May God forgive us when our will we thought was better than God's will. God, today we confess a great need for you to step into our lives so we don't destroy our lives. May God lead you to do what Paul says at the end of the text, to be kind and compassionate, 
forgiving each other. Here's what I want you to see in this forgiveness of each other. Paul uses the word charismai, grace. Literally, Paul is saying, may God empower you not to be Christ-like, but to literally be Christ to somebody else. We're not called to be Christ-like. We are called to literally show Christ to someone else. And I'm grateful that God trusts us with that responsibility. How do we do that? Well, Jesus died on the cross for the most heinous sins we didn't even know were possible. And if Jesus could die on the cross for that, why are you holding against someone something Jesus already died for? So may God compel us to be kind. May God not have to force us to love ourselves. May we be compelled to love our neighbor as ourselves. May we be compelled to give grace. Why? Because we've received grace. May we be compelled to love people. Why? Because Christ first loved us. That when we're mean, we're not showing Jesus. That's not the heart of Jesus. That's me literally turning my back on everything that God has done. May we look at others the way that Jesus looked at us. Father, forgive them for they don't even know what they're doing. Father, cover them. Because they don't even know why they gamble my clothes away. While they talk about my mom and my friends at the foot of the cross. While they judge the two thieves on the cross. Father, forgive them. And if Jesus can look at people that literally drove nails into his hand, that mocked his name, that mocked his mother, that drove his friends away. If Jesus can look at those soldiers and say, Father, forgive them, may we come to church wanting that part of Jesus. May we worship compelled to show grace. May we worship forgiving ourselves for coming in with our assumptions and bias and prejudices, judging what somebody's outfit looks like based on judging their profession or judging what they may do or may not do based upon what they wear. May we leave judgment and assumption and bias and prejudice at the door because when Jesus saw you, he saw you as a wretch undone that he said, put on my body everything you've done against yourself. May we be Christ to people. I want you to consider when you first said yes to Jesus, it wasn't a church you said yes to, but it was a person that led you to see who Jesus was. May we speak truth. May we control our anger without sin. (laughs) May we speak with words of life. May we not grieve the spirit and may we not steal from work. I know this is like, oh, my God, Pastor Justin, really? Like, I'm tired of Ephesians. If you're tired of it, imagine wrestling with this all week. I'm tired of Ephesians, too. Because Paul says very straight to the point. Stop lying. Tell the truth. Be angry. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Go, go to someone. Tell them what's going on. If it doesn't work, leave the relationship. Keep moving. Give grace words. Don't steal from work. It's all stuff I think we know. Like, yes, tell the truth. Don't be mad. Don't punch somebody in the face. Never going to lead anywhere. Watch your, don't steal from work and watch your mouth. But it remains here. Like it's, may God challenge us so that our hands match our hearts. Your life needs your fight in your truth telling. Your life needs your fight in controlling your anger. Your children need you to fight to watch your words. Cussing is the language of the verbally handicapped. Your life needs you. Your wife needs you. Your husband needs you. Your children need you to keep yourself from a reckless life. 
that, telling the truth, controlling your anger, not stealing from work, using the right language and not speaking death language. And we know this. And I think today is a great time to be reminded that God crushed his son so we wouldn't experience the ramifications of not doing the very things we know to do. Jesus put death on his own child. God put death on his own child. May we give grace to be Christ to somebody else. As we conclude worship today, Renee is going to come. And there's a song that's so beautiful that says, worth fighting for. Your life is worth fighting for because Jesus thought you were worth fighting for. And I pray today that as we are ministered to, we don't just sit there and be entertained by this song. Because I don't want us to be entertained by it. But I want you to see that your life is worth it. It's worth telling the truth. It's worth controlling our anger. It's worth not speaking death to others. And it's worth not stealing from work. Because your life is worth fighting for. Would you pray with me today? God, today, thank you that you give us these subtle reminders, these powerful reminders to tell the truth, control our anger, to not steal from work, to watch our mouths. God, for those of us today, wherever you found us, thank you for finding us. And now, God, I come against our comfort in grieving the spirit. May we not fall into the traps of bitterness, anger, rage, malice, slander, and all forms of malice. May we not fall into the traps of brawling. God, even now, as we see this word, I come against the anger we have against some things in your word today. I don't like being told I need to tell the truth, God. I think I'm a good truth teller. But God, you know the times I've told lies. God, I don't like being told to control my anger. How dare you tell me that? But God, thank you for reminding me today that my anger gives room for Satan to control it. God, I think I'm good at work. They told me I could work from home, God. God, forgive us for the times that we've stolen from the places you've called a place of worship. God, I think I say nice things. I just tell people how it is. I got to keep it real, God. But God, forgive us for the times when we know our realness was trying to harm someone else. And God, today, lead us to be like you. Lead us to forgive like you. Not just because life is too short not to do it. But God, that's what you've called us to do. You've called us to be little use. So God, forgive us for the times we wanted more for ourselves than we just trusted everything that already came from you. Thank you, God, that when we trust you, you will overflow, overfill our cup in ways we didn't know were possible. Holy Spirit, remind us today as we are ministered and worship together that our lives are worth fighting for. Thank you that you're God on the throne. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our dance team is going to come. Let's minister together.